You ready for one last ride? On today's Byword Big Talk, we are reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, James Gunn's Swan Song for the MCU. Welcome to today's therapy session of comic books and coping. At least that's what it's going to be like. So buckle in because we are looking at Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, James Gunn's uh, final film before he officially puts full force into the DC universe and says goodbye to Marvel. Um... We're going to cry over a CGI raccoon <laughs> over the course of the next hour or so. Um, we are going to get emotional about character arcs, uh, characters that we've fallen in love with since 2014, nearly 10 years, and we're going to have to say goodbye to them. So it's going to get real emotional. But first, before we do that, let's get emotional with this week's Dave, um, you have talked at good length about this game, um, and I still have no experience with it, but update me anyway. Go Overwatch, man. What the <laughs> hell? See, I told you we were getting emotional. Just wait till mine. Just wait till mine, y'all. I'm telling you, I am I am not okay. Um, so I have spoken before on the pod about how uh, the game Overwatch kind of came along in a in a time in my life where I was emo- emotionally f- frail and fragile, and it it kind of helped me cope through a difficult time in my life. So I have a big soft spot for Overwatch, even though I've not you know played it a whole lot in in the last few years. Um, it it kind of holds a special place in my heart for um, you know how that community and that game kind of came along at a time in my life when I really needed it. And so I was already not thrilled when uh, the you know Blizzard uh, launched a sequel that quite literally replaced the original Overwatch, um, kind of cranked up the monetization efforts, um, so went free to play and, and kind of became sort of a money sink with various battle passes. And so I've already kind of distanced myself from from the sequel at that. Although it's depressing, you can't go back and play the original, but. The one thing that was sort of the selling point and the big pitch of of uh, Overwatch 2 was that they were developing a PvE mode, player versus environment, a campaign in other words, uh, you know, single or co-op campaign that you could play story elements rather than just, you know, dumping you on a map, you know, 6v6 or now 5v5 because they changed that too. Um, and, and this was something that people have been waiting for. And originally it was supposed to launch... Um, when the game launched, and then they said, "Oh, we're, we're delaying the PVE mode, but we're going to go ahead and push out this this free to play uh, competitive mode uh, that's basically just a slightly uh, reworked version of Overwatch One." And and now uh, we have reached a point where they've officially canceled the PVE mode for Overwatch Two. Um, and you know, there's a lot of like damage control stuff going around, right? Um, you know, hero mode, as as the PVE mode was called, 
um, was supposed to uh, come along and now they're they're kind of hemming and hawing about how elements of what that mode would have been like are going to be incorporated into the game as it exists now etc etc yada 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 but i think what it comes down to is that this is just another um another moment where overwatch 2 just disappoints in what it was supposed to be uh you know talking about sometimes games coming out feeling like glorified dlc packs right and not full sequels this is pretty much that overwatch 2 has become basically a glorified dlc pack for overwatch 1 um and all the things that were promised at the head of the creation of this game that the community was looking forward to has slowly been chipped away and i can only imagine if we're going to be completely honest about how video game companies operate for a second especially the really big conglomerates you know like activision is that there was no real good way to monetize a PVE mode compared to selling 8 trillion battle passes for competitive. And so that's why they ultimately pulled the plug on it because they didn't know how to maximize profits off that mode, even though it is a mode that the community was really waiting for. So, um, you know, it's, it's just once again, you, you can't go home again. You know, like I was hoping at one point when this PVE mode drops to dip into Overwatch 2 to experience those characters again. Um, and I'm just, I'm not playing that that game quite literally with how, how they've done the community and how the sequel has replaced and supplanted the original and, and really not brought anything significantly new or good to the table for that. So, you know, was my initial uh, opening here a little harsh? Probably so. Um, but it's just very, very disappointing when a game company promises you the moon and then de- de- doesn't even deliver a pebble, right? I mean, it's just absolutely disturbing. Um, so, you know, Overwatch and I, I guess, have parted ways because this is just ridiculous. Listen, man, I, I you know, I opened with the joke that this was therapy, but I think, I think um, maybe there was more truth to that sentiment than I initially thought because... Like watching your gaming experience over the past few years, you know, in in having a, a small child, it just harkened back to the experience that I had um, a little over a decade ago when my children were small. And I had to kind of pick and choose, you know, when it came to my hobbies and video gaming. And I didn't have the wherewithal. I hadn't graduated college at the time. And so I didn't. I didn't have the wherewithal to dump $60 on a game. Um, and so you kind of find something like that, a game that you can attach to, and then it's kind of taken away from you. Um, and that's, I think, I think honestly, it's one of the most problematic and disturbing trends in video gaming now. The Fortniteification of everything. Everything. Doesn't matter the platform. The Fortniteification of video gaming is a disturbing trend. I was talking with, you know, I'm, if nothing, I'm going to give you an analogy. Okay. Um, I was talking, I can't remember who with, but I was like, you know what? Burger King has so many good qualities on their own, and yet they try to make cheap copies of everything. They have the Big King that has like this poor imitation Big Mac sauce. They have this poor imitation of what Wendy's had with like the four for four. When, in my opinion, the Whopper stands alone as one of the the best quality sandwiches, burgers that you could get if in the in the in the parameter of fast food. And I say that to say this: there are so many video games 
and developers doing the exact same thing. They're just making poor imitations. Every single game that you have, whether it's platform-based, mobile-based, what have you, even games that I enjoy. Marvel Snap is probably going to be my game of the year. But those microtransactions and those battle passes or season passes or whatever you want to call it, slap whatever moniker on it, they're all just doing this poor imitation of the same thing. And it's deeply troubling. And I think it's such a disingenuous way to do marketing. And I was thinking, and I've, I've, I've praised Game Pass until the cows come home and I will continue to do so. And overall, it is a great thing. But I was sitting there this morning as I fired up my Series S. You know, five or six years ago, I bought an external hard drive um, when I had an Xbox One. And now when I got the Series S and upgraded, I, of course, was like, sure, I'll bring that with me. And so I'll have enough you know, storage for games. But now with the Series S and the Series X, you have to play these new games on internal storage. So I'm just playing do do with games that I'm currently playing or not currently playing, moving them to the external hard drive. But if I want to actively play a game, it has to be on the internal storage, which is only 512 gigabytes. So at best, with these larger games, I can have maybe five or six games at one time ready to play without moving back and forth. And it's such a disingenuous way to do business. These even even with you know saving money on the system that I did with the Series S, I'm not I'm I'm frugal like that. I'll just wait and move it back and forth. But what they really want you to do now is they want you to spend money on an upgraded internal memory drive. It has to be an internal one, um, and it's such a disingenuous way to do business that I'm just very disappointed with the state of gaming as it is right now. And I'm not one of those people that's disappointed with the state of gaming because Redfall is only doing this FPS and that FPS. You're being a spoiled brat if you're crying about FPSs. Redfall is a fun game. I haven't played it enough to nerd commend it yet, but it's fun. That's that's a micro issue that you're you're taking problems with. I'm a very happy with my Xbox. But this is a this is a larger symptom, I think, Dave. Rant over. Yeah, and I will say, um, you know, I, I think uh, my attitude towards the gaming industry, particularly like um, you know pricing and stuff, has changed a little bit um, in recent weeks, uh, thanks to my my whole Steam Deck situation. I think uh, Valve is a company, uh, on the surface at least that does a whole lot of things right. I think, you know, the Steam Deck, for example, is competitively priced. Um, you know, Steam has constantly incredible discounts. I just bought like a couple of games for a buck ninety-nine a piece that I wanted to play because they were on sale. They run great on the Steam Deck, you know. I think they, they're, they're very much uh, a bang for your buck kind of situation. And so I find... Uh, I find a little bit more joy lately in the PC environment, uh, which really for me is the Steam Deck environment uh, than console environment. I think there's just uh, it, it's just working better for me, and it, it feels a little less um, bitter, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, because there is a bitter taste in your mouth quite often when you're dealing with the console environment right now. Um, so, you know, I was I was reading that uh you know sony is talking about how they're going to continue their current strategy of putting their exclusive games onto uh, the pc platform two to three years after release um 
And that's probably how I'm going to end up experiencing Horizon Forbidden West because, you know, what happened, typical typical console mentality, right, is that they dual released um, Horizon Forbidden West on PS4 and PS5. So instead of upgrading to a PS5, which, you know, holy crap, $500 and you couldn't find it, right? Um, I went ahead and I picked up the game for PS4. Well, just like the first game, they released a major expansion of the game, uh, Burning Shores, um, and that one is PlayStation 5 exclusive. And the story of, of the expansion takes place after the main game, meaning in order to experience the true ending of the game, you have to play the expansion, which you can only do on PS5. So I, so I purchased this this PS4 version and now will not actually be ever able to experience the full game on PS4. Um, and that kind of like, I'm going to cut you off right there, crap. Yeah, I'm going to try to force you to move over to the new platform doesn't happen on PC, you know? So I'm just going to wait. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to sell off my PS4 copy of, of Forbidden West and I'm going to twiddle my thumbs and I'm going to wait because probably by 20 or late 2024, early 2025, there it'll be on PC and I'll be able to play it that way. Finished. Um, so I have to say, ultimately, I think the PC environment has become a much better environment long-term than the console environment and rant. And I think that's why I'm happy. I, I got ahead of that with the, the series S and I only had to drop like two fifty on it. Um, you know, which Sony can tout all the exclusives that they want to. There's only two or three that make me even kind of take a gander, but it's not worth twice as much on a console, irregardless of the storage space, what have you. Um, I think, I think for me, I've, I've never been a huge PC gamer. Um, but I, you know what, whatever works for you. And I think that's what I appreciate about our relationship. I'm, I'm getting deeper again, but is like what works for you works for you and what works for me works for me. Um, exactly. And not to put the cart before the horse uh, with my nerd commendation this week, but I switched phone plans and Apple Arcade was included. And it, that's been a real joy to discover because um, normally I wouldn't think to pay $5 more a month because everybody and their ex-mother-in-law has a subscription service nowadays. Um, that's a fact. Uh, but Apple Arcade has been kind of cool. There are no microtransactions, you know, for five bucks a month. I guess you're doing that. But when it's covered by my phone plan, I'm not. Um, and so that's kind of my happy place right now. I don't have to worry about the war of the consoles and um, being able to play like a full fledged game and not just parsed through until you get to the next DLC or the next thing. And Oh, that was the other point I was going to make. That's that's the reason why, like, I wait for these digital sales to get, like, the ultimate edition, like, years later. Like, I'm patient. I'm nothing if not patient. And so, like, I waited to get, like, Injustice 2, the ultimate edition that had all the downloadable characters, everything. And I got that for, like, 80% off. And, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a very a very rare occurrence that I'm paying full price or paying for additional content. Cause I'll just wait for it to go on sale. Yeah. I think that's probably the way to go these days. All right, Chris, uh, talking about therapy, let's go ahead and talk about your news story this week. 
Well, Jesus, we're already uh, 15 minutes in, and we haven't even gotten to our big talk, but this one will probably go on for a while, too. Um, I know that social media is the place where nuance goes to die, but multiple things can be true at the same time. You and I, you and I have, we almost had a Civil War episode on this current Amazing Spider-Man run, Um, even though Zeb Wells... I made this joke to you in text. Even though Zeb Wells sounds like like an old Civil War general, we are not going down that path. I enjoy. I have enjoyed largely this current Amazing Spider-Man run. You have not, and we just agree to disagree on that. So, multiple things can be true. I currently like what Zeb is doing on the run, and then you have one of the biggest editorial strong arms that I've seen in recent history, and you can't tell me otherwise, that this is not an editorial mandate. Ms. Marvel is going to die in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man 26, making a quote-unquote heroic sacrifice completely out of the blue, okay? And so there was an interesting timeline here, um, if you'll walk with me. So I thought there was a lot of hubbub on the timeline of Twitter that was, oh, Zeb Wells does this, Zeb Wells does that, Nick Lowe does this, editor of the Spider Office. Uh, you know, and I just thought that it was more people upset about the Mary Jane situation. No. Reddit, as they are wont to do, posted um, spoilers from May 31st at the time of recording. Um, upcoming issue of Amazing Spider-Man 26 in which Kamala Khan dies in the arms of Peter Parker. Okay. And so then it's like a weird PR. And so like, there's a lot of speculation is did Marvel PR themselves kind of leak the spoilers because then they had like this big social media post of like, beware of spoilers and what have you. And then they just came out and said it. Oh, Kamala Khan is dead. And we have this one shot coming in August um, that is Fallen Friend, the death of Miss Marvel. Um, and it's <laughs> it's a weird way to get the um, some of the seminal writers of the character back. So it's Fallen Friend, the death of Miss Marvel, number one, is going to be written by G. Willow Wilson, the co-creator of the character, Saladin Ahmed and Mark Wade, who famously wrote her as an Avenger and part of Champions, art by Umberto Ramos, Takeshi Biza Yoaya, um, and Andrea DeVito. Okay, uh, and there, there's just so much to unpack here. You have undoubtedly the most fan-favorite popular character that Marvel Comics has created in the 21st century. And on one hand, you're like, yes, superhero death in comic books. We know how that goes. You can set the stopwatch before a resurrection. You have rumblings that she is going to be resurrected as a mutant on Krakoa. Sure. Great. To match it up with the MCU synergy, because nobody in their right mind, wants to touch the Inhuman franchise with a ten and a half foot pole. And she, along with Lunella Lafayette, Moon Girl, 
are the the final remnants of that entire franchise. However, we have to have a serious conversation that Gail Simone tried to tell us about damn near 30 years ago. Female characters. A teenage Muslim girl of South Asian descent, no less, during AAPI month, being killed off in service of a white character, albeit one that I have identified with and loved since I was six years old, is so massively tone-deaf and ignorant, and I don't I don't care how we divide this pie chart of blame amongst the white boys in the editorial. You have Nick Lowe embarrassing himself in the replies to fans, where he completely confuses Mayday in the upcoming Spider-Verse sequel with Annie from Renew Your Vows. And while people are wanting to throw tomatoes and cast aspersions and have Zeb Wells' head on a pike, I think that's a short-sighted thing because the editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics is one C.B. Sabolsky, whose most... whose biggest claim to fame is masquerading as a Japanese person in scriptural yellow face for years and the only repercussions and the only accountability that he faced for that was to be promoted to the editor-in-chief and that the cruel irony of killing off the most popular Marvel creation of the 21st century who just so happens to be of South Asian descent by someone who masqueraded falsely as an Asian person during AAPI month, you couldn't write a bigger comedy of errors than that. Uh, Dave, this is a character that you and I adore. This is my baby girl's favorite superhero. And while I'm trying to reserve judgment until I read this, I'm pissed because this is a child. This one thing, if Jean Grey dies again, or if Steve Rogers dies again and is resurrected for the umpteenth time, this is a child. This is a child of color. This is a Muslim child. And we don't just throw like that around. Well, um, I think that pretty much said everything. <laughs> I uh, I had some issues uh, looking at this, and you know, you like you said, um, you and I kind of have gone round and round, and round about this um, amazing Spider-Man run, and how it's just not resonating with me the same way it is with you. Um, so for me, this is um, you know not 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 this this great sin that comes out of nowhere, but sort of the cherry on top of just a run that really rubs me the wrong way. And and this is really what, you know, what we spoke about via text just a few days ago is exactly that. I mean, when you have a character, like, for example, Superman, who goes through a death story, you know, you have this major event, and it's his story, 
right? Uh, when you have Spider-Man going through death, you know, then it's it's his story. And then you have a, a you know, a character as popular and as beloved as Miss Marvel and she gets killed off in somebody else's story as sort of an afterthought, you know, is... Um, I don't like it, man. I mean, I, I, that's what it comes down to. I just, this is, this is not what I want for that character. This is, you know, um, not, not what I'm looking for. Um, so I'm, I'm just disappointed top to bottom about this whole situation. Um, it's just, it's not good. Um, and yeah, you know, maybe they'll go with the, the whole X-Men office thing and whatnot and, and, and whatever, you know, that's neither here nor there. I don't care if she's inhuman or if she's a mutant, she's just a really great character. Um, and I just don't want to see her done dirty like this. That's all. Yeah, and I think there's there's so much to unpack here. Um, somebody did, I, and I I apologize for not you know saving this, but someone uh, it was Comic Book Herald. Comic Book Herald did a great thread about like the popularity of the character and TLDR version of like what a fallacy it is that she hasn't had a solo title. Um, in like two years, Dave, you're more caught up on her. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think Ahmed was like the last ongoing one that she had. Um, there might've been a mini in there, but it's just, it's just wild. And, and, you know, a lot of people are taking issue with the fact that this is happening in someone else's book. Uh, this is happening in Peter's book and not even a champion's book. And, and so I do want to point out the fact, and this is, this may be a moot point and it may be whatever, but she and Peter do have a previous relationship. A lot of people are saying, look, she, she and Miles have a strong relationship and that's, that's indisputable, but she and Peter do have a strong relationship. They, they relaunched Marvel team up with those two characters as the focus. So they do have a previous relationship that whether that adds anything at all or not, what have you, I just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just over it. Um, and if, and that's what makes me think it's like, has to be like an editorial mandate too, because like there are other ways that you can retcon this without having to kill off a child. I agree. I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like this, this is, this is a weird one. It seems like a weird choice in the wrong story. If you're going to do this, it seems to be happening in the wrong story. Um, it's it's it doesn't seem like it's even her story of what she's going through. Um, I hope that uh, they come out of the other end of this um, okay with the character and that they don't do some kind of irreparable damage to her long term. That's going to take years to straighten out. Yeah, that's the, that's how I feel. I mean, like <clears throat> like I initially said, I'm going to reserve judgment until I read the issues in question. But at the same time, like it it stinks to high heaven of overreach. It does. It does. It's it's very very unpleasant, and and I'm, you know, um, I told you too that I'm going to finish reading the storyline, and I'm going to probably step away from Amazing for a little while. Um, but you know, I, it's really difficult to try to reserve judgment with this one because it seems, uh, even on the surface, like such a very um, tone deaf decision that they're making. Yeah. Um. And I think I texted you yesterday. Um. Anything. It, it's it's hard for me and i'm <laughs> i can imagine i don't know i don't know help me make help me help me make this kind of equation i guess is this is this my dan didio <laughs> with cb sabolsky is that what this is like i don't know i don't because 
uh, because I texted you yesterday. Anything, this is this is my fandom, first and foremost. This is what I love. These are the characters that I grew up with. Fox Kids, like Marvel was first and foremost and has always been my fandom. TMNT, very close behind. Star Wars, close behind. But Marvel is the is my like like if i go to a restaurant and be like hey this is my go-to dish it's marvel for me these are the characters that i love and that grew up with but as i told you yesterday anything that i enjoy any success that marvel comics has is in spite of editorial in spite of not because of not you know in in a conjoined effort with in spite of editorial. And we thought we had it bad with Joe Casada guys. I mean, come on, come on. I mean, anything that I enjoy from the publisher, my home that I love most is in spite of the tomfoolery that we have in the editorial office. And this is not exclusive to the spider office. Anything that I enjoy out of X office editorial is very similar of the same vein. I don't know what it is, but it is. I I don't know, man. That, that, that sums it up pretty well, man. All right. We haven't even gotten to the big talk yet. So let's, let's press pause, take a deep breath and process more emotions. And when we return. Welcome back to this week's main course. We call it our byword. And I apologize for always equating our segments with food, but I love to eat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we are here um, to look at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And as is customary, if you've listened to our show before, you know that we like to give three likes, three dislikes, and then an overall grade because teachers are going to teach her. So Dave, without further ado, the first big like that you have for this film. The the, the first big like I have for this movie is what it indicates um, what we might get from a Superman movie written by James Gunn. (laughs) I know that sounds um, weird, but, but hear me out for a second. Um, I think that we have looked at quite a few MCU movies on this um, on this show uh, in recent months. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you, Thor. I'm looking at you, Ant Man. Right, and the the one thing that I continuously loop back around to is that there is uh, always a missed opportunity to speak to the heart, to really pull on the heartstrings, to to be emotionally honest. Um, there was a lot of missed opportunities, for example, in the most recent Thor, Love and Thunder, when it came to uh, Jane's cancer situation. I, I thought, you know, that was a huge missed opportunity. Um, the same thing goes with Ant-Man and, and you know, the, the difficulties of him having been gone so long and the rift that could have created with his daughter. I don't think that that was anywhere near what it should have been. Um, so for me, the MCU, at least when it comes to emotional honesty and really speaking to the heart um, and to the heart of the characters, has been 
repeatedly a missed opportunity just over and over and over again. And so it was very nice to come back to Guardians of the Galaxy and immediately just every single piece of that, of speaking to the heart, of speaking to the heart of the characters, of of emotional resonance, uh, of emotional honesty was present. Even in choices that Gunn made that I maybe did not like, I can admit that they felt honest to the characters. Uh, they they were emotionally resonant. Uh, this was very much a, a, a movie that you didn't just watch, um, you also felt. And I really, really liked that. Um, it, this is a movie that stuck with me for quite a while after I watched it, which is more than I can say for many other recent MCU movies, which felt more like... Um, you know, fast food, really, you know, like you, you, you eat it. And then 30 minutes later, you're hungry again. Um, This one stuck with me. This one, this one was a a full course uh, meal. So I have to say, I I liked it for that. And it gives me a great deal of hope that we're going to get something that feels uh, like a Superman movie from James Gunn as well, because he's very, very good at at speaking from the heart and at speaking to the heart. Uh, And this was a great success in this movie. I am famously... Thor Love and Thunder's greatest defender, and I will continue to be so. I don't disagree um, with your sentiments when it came to Quantumania, but I will offer up um, the defense that specifically the the cancer scenario, that was my coping mechanism. When my mother was recently diagnosed with cancer, uh, my coping mechanism was tomfoolery and buffoonery. And fart jokes and, you know, everything to kind of like lessen the emotional heft and the weight. I, uh, I It's by no stretch um, a perfect film. I think my greatest criticism of it is it's two films smushed into one. I think exactly. gore, is, gore is a separate film uh, because I was just recently watching clips of the gore scene. And my God, Christian Bale, go off, buddy. Um, and, um, but I think, I think, I think it should have been two separate films and that's okay. Um, also a Taiko ITD defender, uh, what we do in the shadows is the peak of comedy. Um, so I love that movie, but that's neither here nor there. Um, this movie is absolutely, it's, it's just, it was such a pleasant surprise because I was prepared for kind of like the awkward goodbye similar to what we had with Shazam with like you knew this was an end, the end and you knew that this was going to be goodbye um but this was probably the biggest and most pleasant surprise that I've had in the MCU of how well this was of a send off um and I'll get to more in that in, in some of my likes but I wholeheartedly like this movie sat with me. It's been a couple weeks since I've watched it um, as of the time of recording. And um, it it hasn't left my mind for long stretches over the past few weeks. That's how that's how hardy it is. Um, and we're going to have to stop with the food analogies because my tummy's rumbling now. But um, <laughs> it, cruising it, absolutely, lunch. it absolutely has that saying power. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chris, what was your first uh, major like of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I think this is what gives me the most hope going, you know, headed into the DCU. Um, and, and and specifically, um, 
Superman legacy, knowing that that gun is at the helm of that. And it's the meticulous attention to detail. Everything, I think, I think 99% of this film um, is, is darn near perfect from the dialogue, um, from the character arcs that we've watched over these past three films over the last decade. And that doesn't go without, you know, a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, I saw an interview where people were asking Gunn about kind of how plans changed over the course, famously with his firing, rehiring. Um, but the the cohesive nature of these three films and like the crescendo of this was fascinating. Um, the character arcs that we got for each and every one of the main roster guardians was amazing. Um, I haven't stopped singing No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Uh, you know, Chris Pratt movies released this year that feature No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, but that was that may very well be the, the greatest action scene we've seen in the MCU. That hallway, the Marvel, Marvel and hallways, man. That's a that's a blessed relationship. Marvel uh, films or series and hallways are always going to make you happy. But um, I, I just the down to the, the attention to detail. Um, and and we this was one of your nitpicks. I remember from the Mario movie was the out of line kind of mismatch with popular music. I think this was once again immaculately selected soundtrack and it fits so well. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, this franchise was, uh, you know, built on uh, how it integrates um, you know, pop music of certain eras into the overall experience, right? Uh, that's that's part of the theme, really, of, of how the, those these movies work and how they're structured. So here, it absolutely worked. It's much, and you're right. It's it, there's a great amount of attention to detail. Uh, he does spend very clearly a lot of time um, thinking about each character and what each character means and what each character needs to go through. Um, he plots that very carefully, I think. And so even when, you know, you don't necessarily like uh, or agree with where a character ends up, it all makes sense. It's all internally consistent. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I would 100% agree with you that he really uh, had great attention to detail for this. All right, Dave. Um, there are a lot of things to like about this film, but your next one has me rolling my eyes. So you're going to have to do some work here. So uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of the, the the sidekicks, right? I mean, when when you ask me Batman or Robin, I go with Robin. You know, it's a p- part of uh, you know who I am, I guess. Um, and so uh, I actually really liked that uh, where the Guardians ended up compared to where they were at the beginning of this journey in Volume One. You know, in Volume One, you have them as this. Um, this ragtag group thrown together that everybody, you know, hates and it's, you know, you know, they're called a-holes in, in the trailer even, right? And then you kind of come to a sort of an expanded world by the time we get to volume three. Um, and they have really built sort of their own little place in, in the universe with a lot of people around them. And so I think, you know, Cosmo and Craglin there and their little back and forth in the movie is actually something I really enjoyed. Not necessarily because I think they're super characters. I mean, that that little back and forth they did was very, very minor in the grand scheme of the of the movie, right? But it kind of has expanded 
it's an indicator of how the world of the Guardians has expanded and how they have built really not just a small core family uh, of, of mismatched characters that are stuck with each other, but they they have continued to grow that family, right? And so it makes a lot of sense uh, when you see that throughout the movie interspersed uh, where some of the characters end up at the end uh, because that idea of, of found family and expanding that family throughout uh, is reflected throughout the, the movie, even in the minor characters. And I really, really appreciated that. That's all really well and good, but I don't like dogs. <laughs> no, my anti-canine agenda is is showing here. Uh, no, specifically Marvel Snap. If you play Marvel Snap, you'll know how much you hate Cosmo, the space dog. Um, Cosmo, Cosmo, the space dog, and Marvel Snap is such a killjoy. Um, I'll just leave it at that. No, um, I I thought Maria uh, Maria Bakalova was just great in that role. Uh, in all seriousness um uh more on craglin in a moment but um it is what i'm most excited about kind of going forward in this yes it's a goodbye but like there's so much potential for the future but i think we're going to unpack that later yeah exactly uh so what was your second like of the movie chris i love i love everyone on the main roster i love their arc um and as much as the internet wants to make jokes and um, I hope that Chris Pratt has a good dentist and a good podiatrist because the foot and mouth syndrome that that guy goes through on a press tour is just unbelievable. Comparing himself to Christ (laughs) is, is wild, but he was, he was magnificent in this movie and we can make whatever jokes we want to. It's a meme at this point. But he was great in this film. He was great. Um, Bradley Cooper, like, no, like, that's a tour de force of voice acting. Um, I saw another clip where most of his stuff, at least in the first two films, was, like, done in post. So, like, he he kind of gets the most to play with because everybody's already done their work. But, I mean... God, he's so good. Um, every character's arc throughout this this main roster, Nebula, I mean, come on. I'm still kind of on a high of where we came from with Endgame, but even, even her maturation and her character growth in this film was magnificent. I mean, full spoilers for a movie you should have watched before you press play here. When Drax started dancing at the end, man, I lost it. Um, and when... When they told him that he was not born, I'm paraphrasing heavily, but when he was, when they told him he was not born to destroy, he was made to be a dad. Like that broke me, man. As a father, that broke me. Um, and Mantis, Mantis is like low key, like the most underrated guardian. Like go watch the holiday special, man. Yeah, I love it. That has heart. And, um, you know, that kind of ties back into your first big like, but I love every last one of these characters. I'm sad to say goodbye, but I love this journey so much. Yeah, I will say that I agree uh, overall with uh, the notion that these are great characters and that let's say most of them had really interesting arcs in this. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, these characters have kind of become found family, I think, for a lot of fans as well. And so saying goodbye to many of them is is a difficult proposition, I think. Um, 
more on the ending later. Well, see, listen, I'm fascinated to get into that because I think we disagree on that. But we'll 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 put a pin in that. But also, shouts to Groot. Like, how did I forget Groot? Love that guy. Um, Dave, oh my God. Speaking of Tour de Force performances, Chikudi Awuji, like, my God. Yeah, I love the High, high Evolutionary as a villain here. Uh, here, here, finally, uh, again, uh, best in a good while there, uh, you have a villain that you really can just love to hate. You know, like this guy is just is just a jerk. And there is no redeemable qualities like they they in the last couple of MCU projects are like, let's try and like see where this guy's coming from. Now, this dude's just an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. And and thank God for that. I think I think sometimes it is okay to say um, that uh, a villain is just a villain, a villain, you know, like they don't always have to have, you know, a deep childhood trauma that makes us feel sad for them or whatever. Right. Um. And so I, I really love to hate this guy, right? Uh, it's absolute great performance, uh, very well written, just just pretty darn spot on. So I absolutely love the villain in this. I think it's a lot better than a lot of uh, a more other recent uh, MCU projects as far as villain uh, writing in particular goes. I think we had a really good performance um, in, in Ant-Man on the villain side of things, but I don't think the writing there was necessarily nearly uh, as, as good as it was here for the villain. Yeah, and so speaking of Ant-Man, um, that's kind of been a, a topic that we've kind of sidestepped. Um, but it, it looks as though that everybody's trying to drop Jonathan Majors with these, these revelations about domestic abuse. There are fan theories now that they want Chikwudi Awuji to kind of step in as a Kang variant. And then that's like a creative way to recast. And I would be totally here for that because this was, this was spellbinding. Like speaking of like dogs, like I yelped like a kicked dog when we got to that scene. And one of his assistants was like, for the love of God or something like that. And he goes, there is no God. That's why I stepped in. I, I yelped. That's a it's a that's a great that great line. Oh, oh I yelped. Um, yeah, it's a high evolutionary. Which if like if you're like a that's that's a deep cut to Marvel Comics too because like he is one of like the most irredeemable like awful villains in the MCU. So or excuse me in the Marvel universe at large, and then to kind of see that portrayed like this was, and there were a lot of people that were like skeptical like going in like with his design and everything and you know the rocket arc i think the rocket arc was so powerful um and everything that was between him and rocket was just so palpable and powerful and you could feel that and that was probably my biggest takeaway from this movie yeah absolutely man so that brings us to uh your final like of the movie chris what have you got Listen, I, I, what I love about is is like it fully embraces the source material. And I had kind of been interested based on how much I loved Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy to try and, and, and kind of kick back and go to Annihilation Conquest um, and the Abnett and Landing, which had been highly recommended by friends. And it just wasn't catching. But like this was that spark that I needed because like the the full full embrasure of, of the source material here and like just making me fall in love with these characters. Like I have hit the ground running now and gone back and read that stuff. And it's so, so good. And I'm excited for the future gun or no gun. Like I'm excited to follow this franchise moving forward. 
um, whether it's recast or what have you. I just, I love Guardians of the Galaxy comics now, and I want to see more of it on screen. And and I think, um, I think Gunn especially, now that I kind of get some context, I can kind of look back on these three films um, as a whole and how he just fully embraces the weirdness of cosmic Marvel. And I totally appreciate it even more now that I have this kind of fleshed out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that it does raise some questions though, which is, you know, is, is this something that they are interested in continuing on without James Gunn, you know, because a lot of the identity of the guardians of the galaxy movies rests solely on Gunn and how he executed those characters to the point where I think it's fair to say that usually when they appeared in other people's movies, they didn't quite feel right. Right. Um, there was something off a little bit about the writing on them. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting to see if they are planning on moving forward with some kind of new iteration of Guardians of the Galaxy or if there's something th- that they're just going to let rest. Um, again, we're going to talk about the ending. Uh, let most of those characters or even that team rest and just pick up on a couple of the characters in other contexts. I think that that'll be interesting to watch moving forward. That actually kind of segues perfectly into the dislikes um, and your first in particular, Dave. Yeah, um, so I'm I'm having some issues, I think, with um, the lack of some kind of sense of finality uh, with this ending, Uh, especially considering that they have made it um, at least somewhat clear that this is the end of the road for a good chunk of these characters, right? Um, I think it's fair to say um, that, that Drax is done because, uh, you know, uh, Dave Batista has been very, uh, vocal about the fact that he's kind of done, you know, doing that kind of movie. So, so we can say, well, well, that is pretty much that, um, I, uh, was watching an interview with James Gunn and he had some interesting stuff to say about Gamora's arc, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but he also, you know, kind of made it clear that, you know, Zoe Saldana was very clear that this is end of the road for her as well. So those, those characters are gone. Right. And so I think, for example, um, you know, leaving Drax in the place that he's in feels like a good final place for him. The Gamora thing, less so. It felt sort of dangling, right? Um, the Mantis thing felt dangling. Star-Lord, I think, was purposefully dangling. But there's a lot of dangling going on here, right? Um, and I, I don't know, man. Uh, there, there needed to be sort of a punctuation somehow to make this feel as final as it is. Um, it kind of felt just like they were all sit, sitting around a table saying, okay, I'm going to go over here for a little while. I'm going to go here for a little while. You're going to go over here for a little while. Uh, see you later, right? And it didn't feel earned when you got to the point where Groot is like, I love you guys, right? Because that makes it feel like this is this is there's fa- finality here. But there wasn't really finality in that scene, if you, if you get what I'm saying, right? Like there is in story-wise no reason why all those characters wouldn't come back together for some reason um, for, to, to, to face some kind of crisis, right? Like there is no punctuation mark that says there is a reason why this version of Guardians can never exist again. And I think that is something that's really missing because the you know if, when you go meta when you look outside the reason that this version of Guardians won't exist again is because James Gunn has moved on to the DC side of things and he said what he wanted to say with those characters, but in universe, it didn't feel like that. Um, and I think if you look at the Gamora situation in particular, that is the one 
um, ending that I think irked me the most. Um, and I know what you're going to say, you know, Dave's a romantic. He wanted, you know, Gamora and, and, and Peter Quill to get back together, whatever, you know, and, and that I do have a romantic streak. Uh, I will freely admit that. But, you know, once I see seen the movie and I really looked at the situation, I was perfectly fine with how that ended. What I think bugged me a little bit is how Gamora in the movie felt really like an afterthought. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why that was um, until... Uh, I watched that interview with James Gunn and he kind of went through, you know, what you were talking about, the idea of how things change, um, you know, with the whole like leaving Disney, coming back to Disney, that gap that was there. And he talked a little bit about the fact that he had initially planned to kill Gamora at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 instead of Yondu. And then when he was in the writing of it, it didn't it didn't quite feel right, right? And then he got a phone call from the Russos making the Avengers movies, and they were like, "Hey, we're we're going to kill Gamora." And he was like, "All right, you know, I mean, I almost did just a little while ago. Sure, that's fine. Um, I'll I'll deal with that." And so when you get then come to this movie, where you have the accumulation of all these characters, right, and you kind of find the logical place for the characters and the arc they've gone through. Um, you know, with, with Drax being a dad, with Nebula coming full, you know, c- coming out of this whole like bad guy place and, 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 you know, Rocket making his peace with what he is and all of those interesting arcs that you're getting. Gamora is sort of arrested development here, right? Gamora is just like reset back to the first movie, basically, and then doesn't really go to, through a significant arc in the course of this one. So it really feels like she was included to be included um, when she was really intended to already be gone from the franchise and sort of replaced by Nebula's character. Um, so I guess my big complaint here is A, that I, I, I think the, the finale lacked finality, I guess, uh, considering that this team as is will never come back together again. We know this for sure because many of the actors have expressed they're not interested in coming back to those roles. Um, and B, I was really unhappy with where Gamora ended up because it kind of felt like an afterthought, like a character that was intended to be dead, but we're going to include her here anyways, but we're not going to have an interesting or compelling arc for that character. And that sort of left me a little cold. It's, it's very interesting when you lay it out like that, but I, I for one, enjoyed the Gamora and Star-Lord kind of storyline. Um there were some people that had very visceral reactions like like what was her problem and i was like you do understand that that is not the gamora that peter knew and fell in love with this is a completely different person i likened it to like you're married to someone who has an identical twin and your spouse dies do you then expect that identical twin to be ravenously in love with you you know well well obviously i mean what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> because i am the male protagonist damn it um that's right (laughs) uh, but i i i appreciate um i don't know that one film here's the thing we haven't gotten gamora since endgame um and so it's kind of hard to tell a complete arc in in the space of one film um in comparison at least in comparison to the rest of the characters um but i appreciated the agency that they gave her in this film. Um, and the fact that that, that one outburst scene in particular, where she's like, I'm not her. 
that person that you loved is dead. I thought that was incredibly powerful and, and very well portrayed. Um, as far as the finality of everybody, I think it's all but confirmed for me, at least my gut is telling me that they're going with like star Lord solo adventures because, you know, continuing with the joke, when has Chris Pratt ever turned down a check? Um, <laughs> either that or, I think you'll see him in the in the next Avengers movie. I would yeah. say he, that's why they placed him specifically on Earth is because mm-hmm. he's gonna he's gonna fall in with the Avengers. That's my guess. And there are great there are great comics uh, I've been told, and I look forward to reading them of you know Star Lord solo franchises breaking off from the Guardians for one reason or another. So I'm excited. I've really kind of fallen in love with the character from the comics perspective. Um, and then you know Pratt did a really like I said really great job here in this third film. Um, kind of selling me on that. I did see one fan theory and, you know, it's the multiverse. So, you know, fans are going to do this. It was interesting though, that it was a inverted of what we usually see when we say X character will return. It was a white screen with black font as opposed to the inverse is what we really see. So some people were speculating that'll be a different Peter from another universe or whatever. But like, I kind of, I, I, I think as of right now, my theory is Pratt returns to the role. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of satisfied with where everybody else went though. Um, Mantis, I was, I was probably saddest to see Mantis go, but like, I get it. Um, she probably, uh, Palm Clementine is probably going to head with James Gunn to DC. Uh, it's almost been all but confirmed there. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So what was your big first major dislike? Um, and this happens a lot with directors, so this is not exclusive here. But the James Gunn nepotism of his cast, it, it kind of took me out a little bit. Um, there was only, there wasn't a whole lot that I disliked about this movie. Overwhelmingly loved it. Um, but uh, it, it just kind of like got a bit too much. The fact that Craglin played his featured a role as he did even as a side character the fact that he's in the continuation of the guardians was certainly a choice um in the end credit scenes uh then his wife is you know playing a large role daniela melchior whom we both love but i mean just like okay it it, it got to the it was like late 90s early 2000s adam sandler but do you want to be considered compared to an adam sandler film so it's just a it's a bit too strong for my taste. Came out a little too strong. The gun nepotism. I didn't bug me at all, but uh, maybe I'm just you know I just tune that kind of stuff out. As long as the actor works in the role, um, it, it usually doesn't bug me. Um, and you know, as far as the Craglin thing, you know, um, it, it was interesting because Gun was talking a little bit about in that interview I watched about how he came to movie making. And that a lot of the, you know, the beginnings of that are always, you know, were always him and and his brother playing together, right? And then they would start filming the stuff that, you know, when they were playing and, and it felt to him, he said, a lot like that playful energy um, that the Guardians movies have kind of required him to be there, you know, for, for him to be in that in that kind of state of mind so that that doesn't bother me so much if it's part of his creative process um yeah i, I had no pro- i didn't have as much of a problem with that i think as you did um but then you know I, I i don't know man it just doesn't bug me when the same actors kind of collaborate with the same directors or writers frequently um as long as they fit in the role I, I'm, I'm good with that at the same time like i 
I maybe it's just like a personal thing because like how many Tim Burton films do we need with Helena Bonham Carter and <laughs> yeah like okay you're not wrong you're not wrong um, I mean I, I can't argue the point <laughs> yeah all right so I'm interested on your next point because this is not something that kind of really approached me at all yeah it's interesting um and, and again maybe that that's just yeah like the um the, the 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 writer in me a little bit i guess that i kind of overanalyzed like story and story beats a little bit but there was very very much a meta feeling in this movie that there was an expectation from fandom that somebody was gonna die right and they played that up in um in in the like marketing as well you know and then you get to the movie and he did this really weird thing where everybody gets a pseudo death scene I don't know. Did, did, did you not? Did you not notice this? <laughs> like, so here's the moment where you think that Rocket's gonna die. Here's the moment where you think that Mantis is gonna die. Here, you think is the moment where Drax is gonna die. He gets shot in the chest, right? Here's the moment where you think Peter is gonna die because he's floating out in space and gets all swollen and stuff in the face. <laughs> um, here's the place where you think Mantis is gonna die when she's like with this with this monster right on on that spaceship. And like, every, I felt like every single character character got sort of this moment where like, oh crap, he's dead. Like there's the thing with Groot too, where he's suddenly just a head, right? And you're like, oh crap, Groot's dead again, you know? And then he just the head just crawls away. And it kind of took me out of the experience because it felt like like sort of you know checking a list. Like you think somebody's gonna die, so I'm gonna fake you out with every single character. And then by the time you get to the end, nobody's dead, right? And so that didn't quite ring as as true to me i guess is the best way to put it um because uh it 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 felt very much like playing with people's expectations as opposed to just telling the story if if that makes sense not to bring it back to peter and mary jane peter parker that is but i'm noticing a trend you don't like to be teased from the editorial perspective you and i both i really don't (laughs) you and i both know that that marriage is not coming back as long as uh, the perpetually single crowd is an editorial. Um, Correct. <laughs> but you don't like being teased about it. Like, I know what the end result is going to be, so I don't really care about stuff like that. You, on the other hand, you don't like that thumb in your eye. <laughs> I do not. I do not. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's funny because I used to feel that way. Um, and then, like, I started watching movies like Die Hard, and I was just like, well, they're not going to kill off the main character. Or... At the very least, let's just see, and when the dust settles, we'll see what the end result is. So I've kind of resigned myself to see, like, well, let's just wait to the end of the film. What happens, happens. Here we go. I guess a more pragmatic approach? I don't know. I don't either. I just know that it didn't, that that, that didn't work. The the Star-Lord one, the Star-Lord one, I I was convinced that Peter died then. Like, uh, like that one, that one, I, I was like, all right, he died. It was a beautifully swollen face, I have to say. Like that, <laughs> that, that effect, that effect, almost. It was reminded humorous. me. It reminded me of the the scene from Hitch where he eats shellfish and his face smells like that. Yeah, it looked that. I yeah. guess they gave you're him not, some Benadryl. Some Benadryl. I guess yeah. so. All right. So, what was your next dislike of the movie, Chris? So, I saw a lot of people criticizing how they included adam warlock you know who famously in the comics is the seminal character of cosmic marvel and guardians of the galaxy even specifically but i thought will poulter was a pleasant surprise i thought it was funny that like they made him functionally an infant i just thought i wanted more of him so like not a huge 
dislike, I guess more of a nitpick. You know, maybe that's part of the reason I'm excited for the future of this property. But I, I needed some more Adam Warlock, especially like as heavily touted as it was as a tease in the last film. See, it's funny you say that because I came, I came to the warlock character the exact same way you did. I, I kind of liked it. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, they made him like a big dumb idiot," and I'm like, "No, I mean, he just he wasn't quite done cooking. He's basically just a big kid, you know. He has a lot to learn." I found him interesting, and yeah, I, I was hoping for a little more of him too. Um, yeah, here's hoping to do something with him moving forward because I thought it was really, really cool the way they set him up. I, I, I thought that was interesting, man. All right, Dave, uh, your final dislike, uh, it just has to be said. Yeah, you know, I mean, grab your PETA shirts, right? The animal cruelty stuff in this in this movie was hard to watch. Um, and I know that that is an essential element of the storytelling of this movie, that it is, you know, it's bringing home the, the awfulness and the cruelty of what you know what what rocket went through here but uh it, it was it was hard to watch i uh i had some difficulties with that especially as a you know i like animals a lot um and so that that was hard man like really unpleasant it's you know i you expect in a guardians movie to have your heartstrings pulled at a little bit and that's that's not unexpected or negative really at this point but the animal cruelty stuff is enough to put throw up a disclaimer if you really love animals you might want to think twice about some of the scenes in this movie if you're going to be able to handle it because it was it was pretty intense. I audibly screamed when Lila was killed. Audibly screamed. Um and uh it's 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 crazy what these movies can do to you. I saw a raccoon dead on the side of the road and I started choking back tears. <laughs> like legitimately. Um and it's so it's so strange because I like to think of myself as like diplomatic and like um like I'm not a conflict I I'm conflict averse. I don't I don't like conflict. But I swear to god when Rocket was clawing his face off, I turned into Logan Wolverine. I was just like, "Yeah! Eviscerate <laughs> him. Claw his face off. Get one in there for me, Rocket." Like it, it was it was it was a wild experience, to say the least. Absolutely. So that brings us to your final dislike, Chris. Okay, and this, again, is another nitpick. Uh, as someone who's now reading the comics, um, and this is just kind of an overarching thing uh, in popular IPs, whether it's Marvel, whether it is, um, you know, Star Wars I've seen as well, is like the half-hearted commitment to to queer characters. Um so Philavel was cast and that's this the daughter of Marvel, you know, the the original Captain Marvel in the in the Marvel comic universe. Um is a very seminal character to Guardians, to Cosmic, uh she's Quasar. Um and she is one of the most notoriously out lesbians um in Marvel comics. And how did they sidestep that fiasco? They made her a child. Um, and so, like, again, this is a nitpick because how mad can you get? Yeah, it's something where, like, you're, you're just getting, like, tiny morsels of a character. Now, I reserve that judgment. If they continue this franchise and they have her full fleshed out as a lesbian woman, female character, I'm excited about it. However... Given the fact that we have 
you know, Ayo and Aneka in Wakanda Forever and the extent of that lesbian relationship is a kiss on the forehead. We know how noncommittal, um, you know, and kind of gun shy they are in, in the, uh, in the face of bigots and comment sections. But, um, I thought it was a little bit of a cop out, but if they go with the fran- uh, continue with the character in this franchise moving forward, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, I knew nothing of about that character going into this. So, uh, th- that context was completely lost on me. Um, again, you remember, just, you remember I, I, moon dragon, right? Yes, I do. That's her girlfriend. That's her girlfriend. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that that kid was supposed to be that character. So I com- completely sailed over my head. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, again, I think it depends a lot on whether they're going to continue on with this in some way, shape or form or not, whether that is going to matter long term. Um, wait and see, I guess, is, is what it comes down to there. All right, Dave, final verdict. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the swan song of the MCU for James Gunn. What is your final grade on this? A minus. Uh, not flawless, but pretty darn close, and probably the closest we've gotten in quite a while in the MCU. I really, really liked it. Like, I think the Guardians trilogy now stands as probably one of the, mo- the most consistent and consistently good entries in the MCU. And uh, absolutely sad that we're not going to get more, but uh, I love what we got. Yeah, I'm going to go with A. I think I enjoyed it a tad more than you. I think the Gamora was probably the difference in our opinions, um, if I had to guess. But yeah, I'm going with a solid A, and yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Um, a lot of people throw a lot of shade at Volume 2, but it's, it's better than people remember it. I, I, I think it's a really good movie. Um, I, I totally agree with that. I yeah. really loved Volume 2. I never understood the hate that was lobbed God. at that movie. Yeah, I don't either. But And then, you know, one is like top three. Top three uh, MCU franchise or uh, films for me. So uh, this is a really strong trilogy. All right, that wraps up the Byword Big Talk. What were your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Be sure to hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram or that Nerd Dave and that Nerd Chris uh, individually. When we come back from this, Nerd Commendations. Welcome back to the final segment for our episode. We call it And this is the time of each episode where we recommend the good stuff to you. Now, Dave, you just switched this up on me. What is your nerd commendation for this week? <laughs> I am unpredictable and mercurial, my friend. Um, so, uh, first of all, let me go ahead and start uh, with a disclaimer. Uh, I do not, nor have I ever endorsed piracy, nor have I ever pirated anything in my life, and I never will. Uh, that is highly illegal, and we're not going to do that kind of thing. However, Okay, okay yeah, Nick Lowe. <laughs> however in the uh in the, uh, however in the in the realm of emulation it seems to be perfectly fine uh, or at least somewhat fine to uh, make your own backups of roms and i have been known to occasionally do that in order to uh, emulate games on other systems um, but again only when i specifically own the game in question and i came across uh, let's call it a mod online that I found uh, really interesting and wanted to play around with. And it's a, a mod for one of my all-time favorite games, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64. Um, the mod in question uh, is for both uh, PC 
and for Linux, and it allows the game to run natively uh, in on those platforms. Uh, what I find extremely interesting, though, is that well, once you download this mod and you combine it and extract uh, your own ROM backup, you start having essentially control over all sorts of things that the game does and can fully customize the experience to your liking. Uh, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about uh, a game designed to run in 4x3. You can run natively in widescreen. A game that ran at about 20 frames per second, you can run it at 30 or even 60 frames per second. Um, you can uh, import uh, upscaled um, assets. So you have a game that runs at a higher resolution than it originally did. Um, and then you get into the really fun stuff like altering controller layout. Um, like, uh, this is a wild one if you've played Ocarina of Time, you can actually turn on a fully controllable camera. So instead of being completely limited to you know using that Z-targeting as a way of recentering the camera behind you, you suddenly have complete control over the camera. And so uh, I, I downloaded this mod, I uh, extracted it and put the whole thing on, you guessed it, my Steam Deck, this great video game love affair of mine. Um, and it has completely uh, revitalized my love of this game and how the smallest um, quality of life improvements can take an old game like this and completely put a new shine on it. The camera stuff alone uh, was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like a game that was designed to be used with a single analog stick, suddenly you have two and you have complete camera control. It is is a game that is so old and yet suddenly has this incredibly modern feeling to it. Um, I'm actually was just really experimenting with it, but I think I'm actually going to replay the entire game like that now because it is just so, it just feels so good to play Ocarina of Time like this. Um, so if you are a, a little bit tech savvy and you uh, are into making backups of your own ROMs, uh, then I highly recommend downloading Ship of Harkinian uh, and you know using that mod to play Ocarina of Time. I think uh, the things you can do with the game here is even more superior to the Nintendo remake for the 3DS. I think this is, to me at least now, uh, the definite way to experience one of my all-time favorite games. It's an absolute delight of a mod. Yeah, man. So this is wild. I know I talked about like not being that big a PC gamer, but you know, I'm looking at this website and it says that Apple is an available platform. So I might have to play around with this. It's absolutely bonkers how good it is, man. Like it, it just, it completely revolutionizes the game for me. Um, anyways, so what is your nerd commendation for this week, Chris? Well, I strongly hinted at it before, but with my new phone and my new plan, I got I got uh, Apple Arcade included, and that was music to my ears because TMNT Splintered Fate was just released as an Apple Arcade exclusive. So my pre I previously nerd commended a couple years ago um, the dungeon crawler Hades, and this is Hades soaked in ooze. So this is the one where you like go on multiple runs and. You inevitably fail and you come back stronger and you get currency to upgrade your characters. You play as all four of the turtles. You have to face off against bosses. There are multipliers. There are boosters and modifiers. This is just a great time. And like I said before, with Apple Arcade, 
that subscription service, which is covered for me, but it's only five bucks a month. Um, there are no in-app purchases. You get the complete version of the game. It's really extensive because I beat Shredder as like the main boss. And then I was like, okay, that was fun. And then I was like, then they came on and said, that was just the end of round one. So endless hours of entertainment. I haven't played Xbox that much since we dismissed for summer break. I've been sitting on my phone or iPad playing this game. Um, and so it's almost like a return to form of like those classic arcade um, style games that we love with the turtles um, with like this new found spin on it. The voice acting is great. It's written by Tom Waltz. So, you know, the storylines there. Um, like I said, the voice acting is, is fantastic. Um, this is just like a really fun time, man. It sounds really good, man. I'm, I heard only good things about Apple arcade and I really need to try to dive in sometime. Um, Especially with my iPad, I uh, I live on that thing anyways. When it Absolutely. comes to reading comic books, right? So I, I definitely need to give this a shot. There's also an Oregon Trail on there on Apple Arcade that I haven't tried yet, but um, I'm too busy playing this. Oh God, talk about the classics! God, I loved Oregon mm-hmm. Trail. I feel like I was in elementary school with MS DOS there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. Uh, We thank you so much for joining us. And if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, uh, rate, and review on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple or Spotify or nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media and let us know how you felt about the new Guardians movie or any of our nerd commendations. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword or individually at thatnerddave and at thatnerdchris. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.